Thanks to our worship team. Awesome this morning. So good. Come on, be honest. When the saxophone was doing Silent Night, I mean, were you guys just like, what? Thank you. That's why we put them in the middle of the stage of the big light. Just kidding. Hey, good morning, everybody. And I'm grateful to be here this morning. It's good to see all your faces. And maybe we should say bye to our kids real quick as they're leaving. It's good to always have them in here for worship. Um, this morning... We're going to be uh, in the book of Philippians. We're going to take just a, a slight little detour from our Exodus passages. Um, we've been going through a series of the way forward. And, um, and even though we're not going to be in Exodus 14, that's the next chapter that we would normally be in. Um, what I want to talk to you about today as we get into Christmas and look at our theme for Christmas isn't far off from Exodus 14. Exodus 14 is where the children of Israel cross over the Red Sea and into the wilderness where they're making their journey into the promised land. And, and that, um, that real account becomes symbolism for the rest of the, the Bible on salvation, right? On, on going from captivity into freedom. And um, what I got to tell you, when you've been held captive for a long time, it becomes normal, right? When you're held captive, whether it's in your thinking or um, physically captive, whatever, you become kind of like an institutionalized mind or an institutionalized person. And it's, it's very possible for some of us that we don't even know how we've been held captive and the areas that we're captive in. And so when we open up God's word, it becomes like a light and a mirror, right? And it helps us to see areas that God longs to bring freedom into our lives. And that theme of freedom could not be preached enough, that that is the heart of God. And you see it from the very beginning that he longs to set you free. And so my hope today is we look at the um, book of Philippians in chapter 2 and we kind of unpack what our theme is for Christmas. Our theme is, is Jesus highly exalted. You guys want to say that together just for fun? Right? Jesus highly exalted. And, and where um, that theme came from was in a time of prayer. You know, I was thinking about Christmas and, um, and I was thinking about how so often we get stuck in what I call a Talladega Nights theology, if you've ever seen that movie. Um, and, and that's that we, we get stuck in, in baby Jesus, right? And not that baby Jesus is bad or, or not good. Baby Jesus is amazing. Um, but Christmas is not about baby Jesus, right? That we as, as believers, that we have the privilege and we have the, the great perspective of seeing this moment forward as we look at the Bible. When we read the Old Testament, we see that moment forward and the hope of what eternity is. And so when we see Jesus, we're grateful that he came as a baby. He became a human. But we realize that this is the Son of God, that we don't pray to baby Jesus. We don't have that like adoration, you know, although he is God and we adore him in that regard. But we are talking about the Son of God. And so today I want to just talk about Jesus. Is it okay to talk about Jesus in church? I'm not sure anymore. So today we're going to talk about Jesus and, and literally one of my... Um, favorite passages of scripture. And if you've been around Bridge or Zion for any length of time, you've probably heard several sermons on Philippians chapter two, because it's just so remarkable. And every time I look at it and every time you study God's word, you're going to find new things. And so I tried to approach Philippians chapter two with some new eyes and I saw some new things. Isn't that awesome about God's word and the Holy Spirit? And so in, um, in seeing some, some things, I want to look there um, in, in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read it um, 1 through 11 if you want to get ready in your Bibles. Um, we'll, we'll read that together. And then we're just going to break out kind of verse by verse this portion of Scripture and see what God does. Is that fair? Yep. All right. 
If it gets boring at any time, just nod off. If, if you're like, not what I thought, no offense, you know, you can take off, no big deal. Jesus highly exalted, right? That he is high above all things. And so here's where, um, where we, we read. And by the way, as I'm reading this, a new thing that I discovered, and maybe you already knew this, is uh, many scholars believe that the early church, that is the very first church, used to take this passage of scripture and sing it like a hymn. And so just like we got done singing, uh, you know, these wonderful songs to Jesus and it, it draws us to him, that, that 2,000 years ago, groupings of people, whether it was in homes or whatever gatherings, would in some form seem, sing like a poetic version of what I'm reading. In fact, in some of your Bibles, it might have like stanzas and stuff like that because the way that it's written in the Greek language kind of lends to some kind of poetry or song. And so um, what we're reading about is a song about Jesus. We're reading about truth about Jesus and, and how he is highly exalted. So here we go. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of one of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not, only look, not look to only his own need and interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In verse 9, and this is our theme verse for this season. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And just a spoiler alert, when I looked up that word highly exalted, it literally in the Greek language means super exalted him, right? I thought that was cool. He is super exalted Higher than all things, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Amen. And if that isn't hope, I don't know what, what we're doing this morning. But the hope of, of who he is and the sovereignty of who God is. But the beginning of this passage starts with a rhetorical question. How many of you know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question that you don't have to answer out loud, but you already know the answer, right? And, and so it begins with talking about his character. And if you flip back to um, the very first verse, it says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, and if there's any comfort in his love, and if there's any participation in the Spirit, and, and affection or sympathy in your version might say mercy, if there's any of that, and the answer is an obvious yes. And so in that moment where the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, this idea of unity and humility is so very important, right? Humility and unity are, are going to be relevant topics from the point from then until, until we see Jesus face to face. Why do you think that is? Because we're so prone towards pride and disunity. A am, I, am I speaking truth? 
And so the Bible is going to repeat this over and over again. But, but what, is, what Paul is, is writing to this church is he's saying, look, if there's any of this stuff, and a rhetorical question is meant to get you to think, right? And as you think and you know intuitively that answer, that so much so that it's obvious that you don't have to, to say it. But it would do us good this morning as we're reading it, putting ourselves in the shoes of the original reader, to, to ask the same rhetorical question. Like as we think about Jesus in our relationship with Jesus, is there any encouragement in Christ? And I want you to think about that like in, in your day to day. I find like the encouragement that I receive in Christ is so often when I feel really broken. How about you? Those moments where you feel sick physically or emotionally or spiritually, those moments where you need encouragement, isn't he so faithful to encourage? And there's those moments where you feel like, where are you? And you ask those big questions and whatever else. But God so often comes in like a flood. And I wonder if you could engage your mind just for a minute and think about how Jesus has encouraged you. Like literally think whether it's through his word. Um, you know how faithful God is to encourage you through another person. How's that one? You know, when somebody comes up to you and says just what you needed to hear, do you think that's because they're super smart and really awesome? I mean, many times there are a lot of smart, awesome people but in the body of Christ that we are literally conduits of Jesus to others. So that when I open my mouth to bring encouragement, is as if Jesus is saying that. That's how the Bible teaches it. What a huge privilege. And that's why encouragement can't be underestimated. And so with the things that we're encouraged from, that when we bring encouragement and it's real and authentic, it brings life to a person. Now just for the sake of the conversation, you know the difference between encouragement and flattery, right? Flattery does the opposite, where someone's like, you know, just in very broad and general terms, uh, tells you how awesome you are or how much they want to be like you or whatever that is. The, the words that they might use that, that, um, that make, you know, are intended to, to maybe boost you up, but they're not words of encouragement. God never flatters. Jesus is not one to flatter. He speaks the truth. That even in those moments of conviction and the harshness that we read about in his speech sometimes, especially to the people of God, right? Especially to, to us as his body, to the religious elite, strong words, never flattery, strong words that are, are both life-giving and encouraging if you'll receive them. And so sometimes he gives us exactly what we need and it feels good. And sometimes he gives us exactly what we need and it doesn't feel great. But as we stay in it, that he's so faithful that the, both are encouragement. Um, secondly, is there any comfort from his love? Would you take a minute and think of the times that the Holy Spirit has comforted you when nobody else could? And maybe some tried and, and, and you saw the reflection of it through the body of Christ, but there was something so deep in your soul that only the Spirit of God could find, uh, could, could find you could find in him that, that source of very real comfort. I love that. It's one of the titles of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. That Jesus, in talking to his disciples, said, the Comforter has come. Because why? In this world, you're going to have tribulation. And so through the difficult times, you need miraculous comfort. You don't need the kind of comfort that comes from addiction or that comes from temporal feelings. Like, you know, whether it's I've shared openly and honestly, and every time I do, um, somebody will, will do this for me. So please don't do this for me. But I'll say, like, I'll eat a bunch of brownies, you know, I'll eat a bunch of brownies when I don't feel good. And, and I need some comfort. It's my comfort food. And, and a lot of times I've said that, and again, brownies have shown up on my desk. And so, so I'm not saying it for that reason. It's just a safe thing to say uh, in front of people that you do that's unhealthy. So 
We have, we have all kinds of stuff that we might do or areas that we go to for comfort, whether it's unhealthy things like eating the wrong stuff all the way to, you know, to turning to substances that might give you a temporal sense of peace or a temporal calm or whatever else. But only in Jesus do you find true comfort. And you know this stuff. This, this third thing that it rhetorically asks, is there any participation in the Spirit or fellowship with the Holy Spirit? This stuff is, is revolutionary if you really understand it, that in Christ you are participators with the Godhead, that you're doing God's business on earth in Jesus' name. That is a lot more exciting than sitting in a pew and just trying to pay attention or you know doing things that are quote-unquote religious but when you really understand that God has a kingdom plan for each one of us and that we're participating with him that we're having fellowship with the Holy Spirit we've, we've given this um, analogy many times but or example but in example how often have you said or done something and and, and you haven't you, you've set back and go, where did that come from you realize that wisdom came out of your mouth that you know was given to you from the Holy Spirit this is all because of Jesus. And Paul's reminding the church, like, hey, keep in mind this stuff. It's like, stir this stuff up. Any affection and sympathy or mercy. Has God not been merciful to you? Has Jesus not shown you sympathy? Has he not shown you his great mercy? And if you can't think of an example, the, the best example to think of is the fact that he came and died and took your sins on his, like he, on your behalf, he took his sins, your sins, excuse me, and he, he, he nailed them to the cross and he brought victory over all of that. So if there's no mercy in that, um, we're missing it big time. And so he's saying, if all this stuff is true, then do something for me, church. He says, make my joy complete. Like, make me happy. This is like, Papa Paul talking, you know, the Apostle Paul. He's, he's being kind of like fatherly. Make my joy complete by doing this, having the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and in one mind. The point that I'm, I'm trying to get to, and I don't want to do an, yet another message on unity because I don't believe that's what God has for us today, but as we're reading this, you can't get past it, that Jesus, who is highly exalted, is the great unifier. He is the one that brings us together. And if we don't see that of his character and nature, we might miss it. Um, I've, I've been giving reference to our, our uh, morning um, Bible studies that we have on Friday, which are, are great, as the men meet together early morning and we talk about the Bible, we, we read scripture together and we pray. And we were reading in, in Ephesians, and, and in that, um, we got into a conversation about how we view the world, right? And the world meaning those that aren't in the church. And so there's probably two ways that we're going to view the world, and that would be one as our enemy, right? If you're not for God, then you're my enemy. You following me? That whether it's the person who has a different political view than you, a person who is just um, maybe off sinning and doing horrible things, uh, they're going to be seen as an enemy, and if they're seen as an enemy, you're going to have one response. The second response, I gave Chester credit for this. He, he's the one. i got to um, give you the footnote. Um, but if, you, if you're going to see them, uh, you're, you're going to see them in the enemy or you're going to see them as those who are blind, right? And do you have a different response to a person who's blind than you do someone that is your enemy? Your enemy, your, your response is like, get what you deserve, your enemy, you have conversations about when they're not around talking about what idiots they are or whatever else. The blind person that you see that's heading towards a cliff or heading towards busy traffic, you're compelled to drop everything and rush to them and go, wait, 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 I got you, there's a better way. And so this is something as we're thinking about Christmas and thinking about Jesus, the great unifier, he calls his church to unity because he so loves the world. 
the ones that we consider our enemies, this is going to be a real bummer for some of us right now, the ones that we consider our enemies, he really loves. And while they were still sinners, like in their worst moment of being anti-God even or anti-you or, or our beliefs or whatever else, he died for them. This is why it's important to see Jesus, not just baby Jesus. And because it changes the way that we see our neighbor. It changes the way that we see our family. It changes the way that we see the world around us. Everybody good? The second part of, of this, and I'll read it now, is in Jesus, because of who he is, because we're thinking about, hey, is this true about him? Then it changes the way that we are. Jesus was ultimately humble, right? And I was thinking about this, like, I would be so humble if I didn't struggle with pride so much. <laughs> and, and what I realized is that, that pride is, is in every single one of us. And pride manifests itself in different ways based on our personalities. Um, pride has a, a, a lion manifestation, right? I'm just giving like an animal to help you tie it. Uh, we usually think of pride as like a lion. That's like, I'm going to roar in your face. I'm going to mull you over. Uh, I am, I'm here. I'm arrogant, whatever else, right? That's one form of pride. Pride also has another form, which is like a worm, right? It's the opposite end of that spe spectrum where based on your personality, you can kind of manipulatively in your pride shut off. You can manipulatively in your pride shut people out or you can put yourself like a worm in a situation where you're doing things to, for, just to get people to go, oh my gosh, you're so humble. Well, oh no, it's just the Lord. It's not me. <laughs> just God's, God's good. And, and really, only you, through the help of the Holy Spirit, can determine what is pride. Because there genuinely are people who are truly humble, who have, who have brought themselves low in order to serve others. But this tricky thing called pride is something that we so wrestle with in our human condition that keeps us from understanding Jesus. It keeps us from understanding our neighbor. And it really helps in the process of bringing fragmentation and disunity. So that's why he's hitting it. And so here's some of the examples um, to get specific about what pride is. And excuse me, or how we walk in Jesus-type humility. And verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves, um, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, I, I would say in a very basic definition that humility is knowing who you are in Christ and living out that identity, right? Knowing who you are in Christ and living out that identity. So if, if, if some might have a, a, a particular gift that puts them in front of people or whatever else, it's not like you have to shy away from that. You have to be uniquely who you are in Christ. Pride is always getting you to want to be better or compare yourself or do something else to be like another person. And that is a trap that leads to endless heartache and pain. So whoever you are in Christ, to, as one good friend gave advice to me and said, just all you've got to do in life is just be the unique shape and size that he made. You don't have to be bigger. You don't have to be smaller. But that is enough. And there's so much freedom in that. There's so much freedom in the understanding of that. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. But, but Jesus' model of humility um, was so remarkable in, in what he walked out for us that there was no ounce in him of selfish ambition or conceit. Have you ever thought for a moment to kind of break those words out? Selfish ambition. 
that there's all kinds of ambition in us, is that towards the, the betterment of others, towards the kingdom, or is it towards bettering ourselves or, or making our lives what we want or think that they ought to be? And man, that word selfish ambition has convicted me on so many occasions, whether it's being opportunistic or whatever else, you know, that we need that help of the Holy Spirit to see how we can model Jesus, how we can be more like him. Conceit is just being arrogant, thinking that we're something better or higher than when we truly are. I think the, the opposite of that conceit is the mentality that when we look at other people is that instead of saying, what an idiot, that we look at somebody else and say, there but for the grace of God go I. Does that make sense? So this is just a check for all of us. And as I read it, I was like, ooh, got some work to do. Help me, Lord. But I got to tell you, the, the last and the, the final of this, and, and, and you're going to, hopefully, if I don't drone on for a bit, you're going to get a short sermon. Selfish ambition and conceit call us to look at, at, at our own lives in a way of, um, in a way of, of reflection that we're searching after our motive. You know that verse in the Bible in the Old Testament when God is looking for the, the ruler of his people and, and it's said of those of us that look for the leader that we look at the outward, but what does God look at? The heart, right? Man looks at the outward and God looks at... Okay, I was just saying that because I feel like it's kind of warm in here and some of you might be dozing off. God looks at the heart and, and no one else really can except for you and him. Isn't it so frustrating for you? It, it, it kind of is for me when somebody tries to say what your heart's doing. Like we have a defensive reaction to that. Because really only you know what's going on in your heart and God. And so these things call us to do a, a heart check. Because you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And it's not right before God. And so, you know, this... This motive thing, and, and man, if you, if, I would never let you do it, but if you read my journal, <laughs> just getting nailed on that. And like the, the eye, like this, the light gets shined. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? And we can do a whole lot of things, but if we're not doing it from a place of humility that I genuinely care about you or whoever I'm talking to or whatever I'm, I'm called, if I genuinely care, man, I could... I could do a lot of cool stuff and, you know, this is the charitable time of the year where we can post all kinds of cool stuff that we do for other people. And again, I am not judging your heart nor do I want you to judge mine. The Holy Spirit does a good enough job if we'll just sit in his presence and go, why am I doing what I'm doing? And when I'm doing it out of, a, out of an act of worship towards God, um, it's so pleasing to him. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing what the Bible is calling me to do in that moment. I'm, I'm resembling him. I'm, I'm acting like Jesus in that moment. And so as we read on, um, our, our motives are checked, our hearts checked. And now we read about the meat of this passage. And this is probably where the hymn part comes in. Paul's appeal to them is act like Jesus. This is what Jesus is like. And now is what we're going to read. And, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And just before that, um, hold on, let me, let me look at this real quick. Yes. I didn't want to miss this, this part. I did miss it. This is a cool part. Um, in the fifth verse, it, it says that, that he, um, he had this mind 
Um, verse, let each of you not only look to, but having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though, this is verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not, equal, did not consider or count equality with God something to be grasped. Did some of your versions say, um, didn't count robbery with God? Like, does it say that in some of your versions? That, that idea of robbery with God or, or didn't count this thing to be grasped, it's a Greek word that says, like, when you steal something, you hold on to it with, like, with great force. Like, you're not going to let anything get away from it. And when you think about who Jesus is, he didn't hold on to his, his place in glory. With, with it, the, the specific definition is um, a treasure to be clutched and retained at all costs. Now, consider this. Jesus didn't come to being, I think you know this, but I'm going to say it. Jesus didn't come to, be, come to being in Bethlehem. That wasn't the beginning of Jesus. Jesus is God, okay? Jesus was there, and I'll read you some passages that declared in the Bible. He was there in the beginning. He wasn't just born. But there was something of the glory that he had in heaven, right? That there he was. And, 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 and willfully comes to earth, that he didn't consider his position, he didn't consider that moment to be something that he's going to grasp onto, but he, he let go of the glory and came to earth. That's a huge point, and it's a huge application for us too, because there's some things that are tied into our identities and are tied into our prestige, that, that if we're like, okay, if I let somebody else do that, what's going to happen to me? Am, am I going to be insignificant? Am I going to be pushed out? Jesus' example is this, like, I'm going to humble myself. And you cannot take away from Jesus who he is because he is God. So there was nothing that's going to change his identity, but he willfully said, okay, here's some glory. I'm going to give that away, and I'm going to come humbly. It says he didn't count equality as a thing to be grasped, but he empties himself, taking on the very form of a servant in the likeness of men. Man, as I consider that it sounds so good and and you know that's our heart's desire is to want to be a servant but the call to that servanthood with a pure heart is really significant it's really um it's it's big it's big it's bigger than maybe we can can really fathom and it's probably too big for us to do on our own it can only be done truly through the power of the holy spirit working in us and so as a result of god um coming in the form of man, you have to kind of wrestle with some of this stuff. And this is where I don't want to get us into the weeds, but some, you know, some scholars really wrestle with, well, what did Jesus actually give up? Because it says that he emptied himself, you know, and this, um, he emptied himself of this form, it says. And, and this idea that if you read in the original languages, he, he, he doesn't empty himself and stop being God. But some argue and wrestle with, did he leave some of his godness there and then came down and traded it for humanness? Like, did Jesus know the answer to the question before you asked it? Do you ever, you ever think of these things? Did Jesus already know how someone was going to respond? And I don't know. I just know that, that he emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of God. And this, this is the mystery of Jesus, right? 100% God. And simultaneously, 100% man. Can anyone explain that? And that's where we do embrace mystery. And so we don't want to get too far into the weeds, but we also need to bring it up because we don't want to have a a concept of Jesus that's not biblical. He is and will be always God. And he was there from the beginning and will be there in the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And at the same time, he came to this earth to become one of us. And he left that glory. That is so remarkable. 
And it's beyond nostalgic. It's remarkable. Colossians maybe um, helps us a little bit understand this. Um, In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. You want to turn there with me? You're welcome to do it. Otherwise, we'll put it up on the screen. It says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all and the ruler and authority. Now that you've read that with me, jump to the screen because I don't think you have the message translation. This is one of my favorite ways that um, Eugene Peterson, he translates John 1.14. It says this in trying to describe this mystery between God and man. It says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood and we saw His glory with our own eyes. This one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The Word became flesh. He put on like skin and moved into our neighborhood and became one of us. He didn't count, and we're back to Philippians, he didn't count equality as something to be grasped. He empties himself, taking on the form of a servant in the likeness of men. And finally, this last portion is an interesting thing that happens when we're willing to let go, when we're willing to let go of reputation, when we're willing to let go of, of identity that, um, that we want to hang on to in, in exchange for who God's called us to be in true love and in true servanthood. The more that we let it go, the more that God puts things in our hands. It's just really hard to do. Has anyone ever been there before? You're making room for somebody else maybe in your workplace. You know, maybe, maybe you've been the... The, the, the top person or maybe you see something in somebody else and instead of pushing them down, you help elevate them. Maybe in, in, even in, in a ministry context around here, you know, you've always held this certain post or you've always done a certain thing, but you see someone else coming and so instead of saying, if I let them do it, then I won't have anything to do. Isn't that the lie of the enemy? There's so much to do. There is so much to do in the kingdom. And if you're stuck just with an identity that this is who I am and you're grasping onto it, one, you're taking somebody else's spot is what you're doing. And two, you're, you're robbing yourself of the spot that God's called you to in this moment. There's freedom in this in any aspect of life if you're a true follower of Jesus. So this is what God does. And this is how he shows this concept. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Humble yourself and what happens? God will exalt you. Exalt yourself and what happens? God will humble you can follow any one of our life stories and tell seasons where maybe we've chosen exaltation and God is like, no, you want to be a shepherd in a faraway land? I don't want to, you know, like that, that's what happened to Moses. Do you know that Moses writes of himself in the Pentateuch that he's the most humble man? Moses is the most, it's in the Bible. Now Moses was humble, the most humble man in all the earth. Does that mean that Moses was sneaking in pridefully? Like I want everyone, I want to go down to somebody's, no. Moses was shaped into humility. I mean, come on. From his, his life goes like an EKG, right? Like, doo, 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 doo. I don't know what EKGs do, Doc, but I was just saying that. <laughs> but, they, but his life goes like, I'm super awesome. I'm terrible. I'm super awesome. I'm terrible. 
And he goes through these situations and circumstances. Why? So that something can be penned for all time and eternity of an example of someone who's like a type of Jesus even that we would be able to go, this is a humble person. In fact, by the obedience of the Holy Spirit, okay, I'm going to write it about myself if that's what you want me to do because I know who I am. I know my shape and size. This is who you formed me to be. I'm humble. Crazy. Therefore, God exalts Jesus and bestows on him the name above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is super exalted. He is highly exalted. And the second application to that is, is he as highly exalted in our lives as he is in truth, right? And and let me explain what I mean by that. When the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, some would take that passage of scripture and say, he's so good, he's so loving, and he's so kind that, that everybody will be given an eternity with him. It's called universalism. Are you familiar with it? It, it, it basically takes hell as a really mean, archaic concept and puts it somewhere else because it's uncomfortable to talk about an eternity of suffering away from God because that's just not nice. So we don't talk about that. But what we say is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so we say that he's so good and loving that everybody is in. He is that good and that loving. And if he was that good and that loving and didn't do something about the injustices of demonic oppression and evil and those who choose to willfully step away from him, he wouldn't be loving. Are you following me? There has to be an answer to injustice. And that is what God has done in creating a place called hell that he doesn't desire to send anyone to except for the devil and his angels. That's what the Bible says. That's where he's saying your willful evil on the earth will one day be reckoned with and this is what it looks like. And those who choose to want to go with you can go as well because I'm loving and good and kind and I give free will. I am not a puppet master who makes people do what I want them to do. Even though I want that none would perish but that all would come into repentance. This is the gospel in its fullness. This is what Christmas is about. And so I wanted to share that with you because if you believe that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess means universalism or that everybody gets in, you might also believe this thing that if my belief in Jesus makes him authoritative or my belief in God makes him real, he is whether we believe it or not. And the reality is, is we're all going to face that day when we stand before him. And I've heard some, some say that some knees will bow and some tongues will confess with joy and with glory. God, in humility, thank you. Thank you for dying for me and for, for, for giving me this life. And, you know, and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. And some knees will bow and some knees will, or tongues will confess in heartache and sorrow maybe even arrogance and pride, but all will because he is who he says he is regardless of how you believe. It's not going to stop making Jesus who he is. We are so arrogant, really, as, a human, as human beings. We're so prideful to think that we shape things like that. We don't. We don't. He is who he says he is. This is pretty heavy stuff for a Christmas message if you brought your friend. Um, <laughs> So let me, let me end with this, and I'm going to call the worship team back up. I don't want to take a lot of time with words. I really want to leave with you truth that you can process through and then reflect back. Because if he is to be highly exalted, then we need opportunity to exalt Jesus together. Um, magnify the Lord with me, and let's exalt his name together. That's what the psalmist says. 
There's something about the congregation together um, lifting up the name of Jesus. As what we do is we lift him up. We, 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 we realize how wonderful and how awesome he is and how much he loves and cares for us. And, and at the same time, what our response is to him. Whether that response looks like repentance. I've been doing a lot of that lately. Of seeing some areas in my life going, where did that come from? You know, you, 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 you run a danger if you stay around church for a long time. You can get good at it without Jesus. Because there's a whole culture that you can pick up. And you can look right and act right and whatever else, but you can in your heart even find ways that you're far from him. And so when the Holy Spirit becomes, begins to shine light as we exalt Jesus, it's not because he's mean. It's not because he doesn't like us. It's because of the same message of Exodus. He wants for you what you can't give to yourself. He wants freedom for you. He wants freedom for you to live as you've been called to live. He wants freedom over the, the thought patterns that are destructive in your life. He wants freedom for you to fulfill the destiny that God has in your life. But that comes through submission to him. And let me read this passage and then I'm going to turn it over to these guys to lead us in a song. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, describing Jesus, this great mystery of 100% God, 100% man. It says he is the image, and that word image means he is the essence of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, this is Jesus, and in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now here's your part. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. That's a great description, isn't it? Doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I just want to invite you to one thing, to, to quiet your heart, to, to hear this song of worship, and to express your love to Jesus, to welcome him into your life. Maybe for some of you, it'll be a recommitment to following him in truth. Maybe for, for others of you, it's a reality of knowing that you are in suffering, you are in bondage, you are in captivity, and you want to be free. Jesus wants you to be free. But that first step towards your freedom is a radical step of humility and saying, I cannot do this on my own. I have absolutely tried and I failed and I yield myself to you. 100% God, 100% man. Come redeem my life just like I heard read today. I'm gonna let God do what he does and let's sing to Jesus. If you wanna stand, please feel free to stand. If you wanna come to these altars, you can do that. But let's, um, let's go to the Lord in worship. Jesus, sing his name. Jesus. 
a moment and it's just in a church service there's a lot of songs and talking and not a lot of time to think and as best as you can just turn in your eyes to Jesus you heard some words today now allow him to cause those words to come alive inside of you you can just sit quietly you can pray in the spirit pray however you want to talk to God but I would encourage you that part of your prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. And so sometimes as we open our hearts to him, it's more uncomfortable to listen to him than it is to talk to him. And I'd invite you through just this little bit of space here, let, listen to him for a moment.
Jesus, we want to respond to you and we want to listen to you. Hear the words. Some of you need to hear the words of freedom over your life that you can be free from trying to be somebody that God never called you to be. The freedom to be just the shape and size that he called you to be and realize that that It's not just enough, but that's glorious. Christ is in you, and who you are might appear different than somebody else in the typical or in their particular gift or whatever else, but but maybe that resounds with you this morning that you are free to be who God created you to be. And that goes for every age, and it's not too late. Some of you might be believing a lie that you're thinking that you're up in years and the ship sailed and whatever else, but the goodness of God is that he never stops communicating and developing us to being more like Jesus. And so yield to that and find freedom in the true identity of who you are in Christ. Find true humility in just being who God made you to be. Some of you might need to hear the words of comfort that the pain that you're experiencing inside is so much deeper than you're able to give words to or help a friend to understand. And the Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And Jesus is not just outside you or around you, but he's in you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, just hear the words of comfort and receive God's comfort over the pain that's in your life. It's not a one-time fix, but it's a touch from the Lord that lets you know that he's with you, he's walking with you, and he's doing something through that pain. He's not going to be wasted. But let him comfort you in it, and let him help you to make some sense of things that really don't make sense, because he's a redeemer. Lord, as we walk into a the next few days that are wonderful and amazing and you get gifts and it's fun and you eat a lot and all that. But as we walk into it, let's walk into it with the power of the Spirit because some of us here in this room will be walking into difficult situations, facing people that they don't want to see, dealing with things they don't really want to deal with. Lord, let this year be a year of freedom and victory. Lord, let this year be a year where the reality of Jesus, not just as a baby, but as the eternal God, would be so alive in us. And we walk in that new level of freedom. And so I speak blessing over you today. I just speak the truth over you that you're, you're humble and you can be humble because Jesus is humble. That, that you're loving and you can be loving because Jesus is loving. That you're merciful and compassionate with sympathy because Jesus is merciful and compassionate with sympathy. That you can speak the truth in love because Jesus spoke the truth in love. If there's anything good in our lives, it's because of you. And so we exalt you high above all things, above our personalities, 
above our experiences, above our education, above our status. We exalt you high above all these things. You are King Jesus, and this Christmas we worship you and we honor you. We thank you for these things in your precious name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.